Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, that was an interesting weekend, wasn't it? Watching the lefties going into meltdown not once but twice in the same day was pure comedy gold. First up, it was the ludicrously entitled Sir Philip Rutnam uh, who orchestrated an entire song and dance show outside what looked like a public toilet somewhere in the home counties. The £175,000 a year home office Mandarin did his level best to make everyone feel sorry for him for throwing himself under his own bus to show just how caring he was of his fellow civil servants. He thinks uh, he's got a case for constructive dismissal. So he'd like to sue the taxpayers to get even more money out of us, despite the fact that he's been on on a massive six-figure salary uh, for decades and decades. And he's probably uh, got rather a nice gold-plated pension coming to him as well. Tragically for Sir Phil, the only people he got support from were the usual suspects. Boris haters, Labour Party members, lefties of all hues, who seem to think it was better to champion a white, middle-aged man than a woman of colour trying to change centuries of hopeless careerism while being accused of bullying by those very same middle-aged Mandarin. Funny old world, isn't it? Predictably, it hasn't gone very well for Sir Phil. And things took a turn for the worse when it was announced by Downing Street that Boris Johnson is to be a father again and that he and Carrie Simmons are getting married. Obviously, he's been listening to my advice on this show. The lefty abuse that then poured out towards the happy couple was nothing short of disgraceful, led by those pillars of morality, A.C. Grayling, who goes madder by the day, and Alistair Campbell, uh, the man who took us into a legal war with Iraq. Well done, guys. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Coming up, we'll bring you the latest from the coronavirus front line as more schools are closed, more flights are cancelled, and more businesses worry they might not survive the economic collapse of the stock markets. 0344-499-1000. Plus, we'll be joined by Lord Sugar and his latest business partner, Karina Lepore, winner of The Apprentice last year and owner of the Doe Bakehouse. They've got some vegan goods they want to sell us. And we'll speak to International Trade Minister Greg Hans as he talk, as talks get underway uh, with the United States of America. As ever, we are live streaming the show on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter, so get on it right now. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So last week it all got underway in Brussels. There was the start of uh, the EU trade talks and as we predicted, uh, once leaving the European Union was done and dusted, once Brexit got done uh, on January 31st, now the hard work begins or certainly the trade talks begin. doesn't have to be hard work, but let's talk now uh, to Greg Hans, who is, of course, Minister of State for Trade Policy. Greg, very good morning to you. 
Hello, Greg. Yes, morning to you, Mike. Sorry, I just missed your uh, initial uh, speaking there. Um, We've got uh, a a terrible sort of um, problem at the moment in terms of international trade, and it happens to be coronavirus. And I guess that will be front and centre of of every conversation at the moment you have in government. But is it going to affect these particular talks in any way? Um, I'm not expecting it to do so. Obviously, the uh, Prime Minister is chairing a COBRA meeting uh, later today, and there's a massive effort across the whole of government uh, with further important COBRA meetings during the course this week, agreeing a battle plan uh, on coronavirus. But I'm not expecting it to have a direct impact on these talks. No, because, I mean, I'm seeing and have seen some sort of what can only be described as rather confidential memos which have been sent by big companies around their own uh, employees, basically warning them that this is probably going to get worse before it gets better and there's probably not going to be much reason to uh, have international conference if they can be avoided. Don't come into work if you don't have to. You know, I mean, it's a worrying time, I think, for business, aside from anything else. Yeah, I think it is a worrying time for everybody. Um, But, uh, importantly, we need to uh, keep it in perspective. We need a balanced approach. Uh, We need to all plan for the worst, uh, but work for the best. Um, And uh, and that's exactly what we're doing at the Department of International Trade. Uh, Today, we're launching uh, our um, uh, document about how we're going to approach the negotiations uh, with the US and how we're going to take forward uh, this important free trade agreement. Yes, and what sort of um, red lines, if any, do you have going into these kinds of talks? We saw the start of the EU uh, conversations last week, which were both sort of quite robust, I guess you might say, from both sides. Um, you're supposed to be, I suppose, looking more at the US as a as more of an ally, perhaps, than the EU at the moment. Are you expecting friendly talks, or is there going to be a few sort of uh, uh, people being rubbed up the wrong way? Well, look, I mean, the US and the UK are great friends, and that has been the case um, for a century or more. Uh, we're talking here about our scoping assessment shows uh, that we think we can do something in the region of about a £15 billion boost to our trade, that's somewhere around about a 20% increase in trade which would lead to a £1.8 billion increase in UK wages. So there's a really good opportunity here uh, in these talks. Um, and we're looking to get the talks going uh, really as soon as possible. And the big kind of talking point, whether rightly or wrongly, seems to be around the uh, the food business, doesn't it, as to which standards you may wish to um, operate under, whether they be EU ones or, or UK ones. And I've seen plenty of, uh, of government ministers on Question Time and various other places talking about how UK standards are already high enough and there's no reason that we must adopt EU ones just because they're a bit different. Well, uh, I think UK standards, we will be setting our own standards regime, of course, after the 1st of January. And that applies to what is called uh, uh, sanitary and phytosanitary measures. In other words, uh, food products and agriculture and, and, and livestock. Uh, coming in out of the country. That'll be set by the UK independently. Um, But you're right, we already have very, very high standards uh, and we will not be lowering those standards as a result of any trade deal. I mean, Lance Foreman, who's a former uh, Brexit Party MEP, um, and no longer, of course, because we're no longer there. Uh, he's a businessman. He runs a smoked salmon business. He's always said to me that trade deals are not really done between countries. They're done between companies um, and import and export companies and that kind of thing. Is, does he have a point in, in, that, in that sort of phrase? Well, well, well there is a, a really important role uh, for companies in all of this. Uh, um, the two need to work together. Uh, So the UK government is informed by a huge consultation exercise that we undertook over the last couple of years, um, listening uh, to companies, what companies would want to see out of a US trade deal. Um, I think the company that you mentioned is involved in in salmon, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, yeah. And, um, I mean, smoked salmon 
tariffs going into the U.S. are around 5% if we can do a good job on reducing or eliminating those. Uh, other products going into the U.S. also face quite big tariffs. Scotch whiskey, about 25% at the moment. Yeah. Uh, cheese uh, or different types of cheese, around about 17%. Uh, leather, about 20%. There's, there's quite a few tariffs there, but it's not just about tariffs. It's about removing some of the, um, some of the barriers to trade uh, that exist between uh, the two countries. Fortunately, we do have a very, very good, exceptionally good trading relationship. Uh, the U.S. is our biggest bilateral trading partner. Uh, but, of course, there's more that we can do, and that's why I'm so excited about getting these talks underway. And how uh, soon do you expect to be able to get somewhere, as it were? I asked the same question uh, to the people doing the EU negotiations. I don't really feel singled out here. But, I mean, if you've got a sort of an end point by which you like, you'd like to see something actually as, 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 a, as an announcement that you can make? Well, we don't have an end point, um, but we do, we're expecting to get the talks underway very soon. Um, um, the uh, US Trade Representative is actually in the UK at the moment. Uh, Liz Truss, Secretary of State, and I had a meeting uh, with him last week uh, to talk about this. Uh -huh. uh, we're going to get underway um, as soon as possible, but until we actually start the talks, it's difficult to say precisely uh, what the end point will be. And because Donald Trump is a bit of a volatile character, I think that's uh, no secret to anyone listening to this, um, you always run the risk, I suppose, of a bit of a, of a strop, for want of a better word, diplomatically, uh, if he doesn't like the way it's going. Well, okay, but I think the president has actually put a lot of uh, his own kind of store and political capital uh, into doing this deal. He's always been an enthusiast uh, for doing this deal. He's a big uh, fan of Boris as well, isn't he? Well, he is, and that's important. But also, don't forget that it's right the way across the U.S. political spectrum. Um, so senators, congressmen, governors, right the way across the states, uh, 45 Republican senators signed a letter uh, last summer in support of a trade deal. Uh, there's another cross-party letter that came out, I think, on Valentine's Day in support of doing this deal. Um, so it's not just uh, the president, very, very good that he's an enthusiast for this, as our prime minister is, but there's actually a lot of enthusiasm right the way across the political spectrum in the US. And as far as, um, you know, any kind of roadblocks that you see, I mean, in your conversations with the, with the US trade representative last week, did you identify anything that might be a problem from their perspective? Well, uh, uh, both sides will obviously have their negotiating objectives. Um, the key thing is that now uh, both sides have published their negotiating objectives. Um, but we will see what happens when the negotiation starts, uh, which will start uh, very soon. And how confident are you that your um, civil servants are going to be uh, on side with you, given what's happening over at the Home Office with Priti Patel uh, and Sir Philip, uh, who's not very happy at all with the way that the government, he says, uh, is kind of endorsing bullying? Well, I have amazing civil servants here at the Department for International Trade. Uh, this is the second time that I've been a minister in the department and really uh, an exceptional uh, leadership team uh, and also an exceptional set of trade negotiators. Uh, we've done a really, really good job at getting a world-class trade negotiation team set up in this department. Yeah, and what about the actual feeling of, of Whitehall in general? Because we're led to believe that, uh, you know, there's a sort of, you know, shall we say, hard border between uh, government ministers at the moment and civil servants, and certainly top civil servants. I, I think that's completely untrue. What I see uh, each day, every day, not just in my department, uh, but going to other departments, uh, working with the civil servants, a huge number of civil servants are my constituents, actually, I might add. Uh, um, I see uh, um, the politicians and the civil servants. Obviously, everybody uh, has their role, and it is a crucially a, a different role between being a civil servant and a politician. 
politician. Um, but I see actually the, 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 the two groups working together incredibly well at the moment. And I've been really impressed by that since my return to government three weeks ago. So would you say that this criticism uh, being levelled at Priti Patel and, and it's specifically that she's been bullying people is, is incorrect? Well, well, look, I've not been a minister in the Home Office. Uh, I don't know uh, all the ins and outs of that. Uh, what I do know is that I've known Priti Patel for a long time, probably about 15 years. She's a, a very uh, determined person. It's a huge job to do as Home Secretary, um, not only uh, recasting Britain's immigration system, uh, but also making sure that we get the 20,000 extra police officers in there that the Prime Minister has pledged. Um, there's a lot going on uh, in the Home Office, and I think Priti Patel is doing an excellent job overall in making sure that the government's priorities are seen through. So she has has uh, the blessing not only of Boris Johnson, but of yourself as well? Well, uh, yes, I do. I mean, look, it's I can't comment on the individual case of what's happened because I think that is... Uh, going to uh, um, go to go, going to become a court case, so I can't comment on the uh, individual circumstances of um, that particular civil servant's departure. But I'm saying in general, uh, it's clear that the prime minister has got the confidence in Priti Patel. Uh, I find her a very good colleague to work with as well. Okay, Greg, thanks very much indeed. Greg Hans, Conservative MP for Chelsea and Fulham, Minister of State for Trade Policy, uh, talking to us there about uh, the American talks, which are going to get underway very shortly, uh, alongside the EU. You talks as well. Um, it sounds as though uh, there is business to be done and it certainly sounds as though uh, the UK government is quite positive that, that good business can be done uh, and I'm sure that that will be the case. There's certainly no reason to expect Boris Johnson and Donald Trump to fall out over anything uh, any more than there is any reason to expect uh, Boris Johnson to fall out with the European Union because everybody needs to do trade, everybody needs to sell things, everybody needs to buy things. It's as simple as that. Uh, it's not going to be anywhere near as difficult as the old Ramonas would have you, have you believe. Um, um, and we won't be eating any chlorinated chicken anytime soon unless you particularly want to, I would imagine. I've noticed, by the way, that the subtle kind of warnings about chlorinated chicken have now changed because it's been pointed out that lots of things come from the EU which have been chlorinated, that it's not apparently about the chlorination. It's about the fact that the chlorinated chicken might be disguising the fact that the chicken might be badly treated uh, before they get slaughtered. Now, that's an entirely different argument, which, of course, um, the people who don't want to do uh, trade with anybody outside of the EU uh, are now making. It's quite remarkable how they shift the goalposts whenever they feel like doing it. But we'll take some more of your calls on Pretty Patel. We'll take some more of your calls as well uh, on the way this government is going to cut a swathe through the civil services. I think that's precisely what they are going to do. Uh, and we want to hear from more of you uh, about that as well. 0344 499 Also, uh, we're talking about coronavirus this morning, as we will be probably every single day for the foreseeable future. Uh, there's a new case that's cropped up in South London. Uh, apparently, uh, many more schools are closing down. One in Devon this morning decided to shut its doors. Some hospitals have been shut down. Some people uh, are worried that uh, their businesses are going to suffer in a massive way as well. And certainly, I think there's a couple of airlines who are not selling as many seats at the moment for people to fly places. And as ever, if any of you have got questions about where you're going, uh, places that you want to go, places that you have got bookings for, but you're not sure what to do about it, uh, by all means, give us a call. We'll try and help you out. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Now, many more of you still want to talk to us about a great many things, and we'll be doing that. We'll bring you the latest on the coronavirus uh, outbreak as well. Uh, and, of course, many of you still want to talk about the Pretty Patel situation uh, with the Sir Humphrey figure uh, who made his own, his own sort of bed and decided to lie in it on Saturday, Sir Philip Rutnam. Uh, he says he's going to take the government to court for constructive dismissal, which, of course, would effectively be suing the taxpayer, which may be not the greatest idea he's ever had. Let's speak to Elspeth Kinder, though, now, about the problem with child payments and the problem with parents who have separated and a third of whom basically are not making the payments that they're supposed to make, which is an absolute disgrace in my view. Uh, Elspeth, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Dear. Thanks very much to, uh, for talking to us. What exactly is the problem here and, and how has it managed to get so big? We have to bear in mind that the town maintenance service really isn't fit for purpose. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Elsa, I was just going to stop you there because the, the, the line is really, really bad. So we'll get you back, please, when we have a better line, maybe a landline, uh, that we can talk to you on. But the problem, it seems to me, uh, is that parents get separated all the time, right? Um, but a charity says that the child support agency um, is failing somehow in its duty of care because it's not taking enough tough action against absent parents who, who, who either refuse to pay or disguise their earnings or disguise their wealth. The latest figures show 32% of separated parents make a maintenance contribution under an arrangement calculated by the Child Maintenance Service, which actually replaced the CSA in 2012. You might remember uh, the Child Support Agency, which was pretty much a disaster from the beginning of time. Um, this apparently excludes cases in which the absent parent failed to give the full amount or paid a total sum. Um, but the rate of compliance with maintenance agreements has been rising. In 2015, 45% refused to pay anything. Uh, now, it's just a third. But that's really too high, isn't it? The number of children living in households that receive no maintenance payments has grown from 83,000 three years ago to 106,000 last year uh, when these figures were released. Uh, Elspeth, sorry about that. We just we couldn't hear you at all, really. Sorry about that, No, mate. that's OK. That sounds a lot better. Um, so Great. there's still a massive problem here with parents who just simply refuse to pay for their children. Yeah, I was saying I think we have to bear in mind that the child maintenance service is really not fit for purpose. No. It's a very cumbersome beast, incredibly slow and difficult for both paying parents and recipients of maintenance to access. Right. And the rules relating to child maintenance are incredibly complex, uh, even for lawyers to interpret, never mm. mind um, parents who are either paying or receiving maintenance. And so we end up with this problem where um, parents end up in dispute with one another through the CA in trying to work out precisely what on earth they're meant to be paying. Um, and there are parents who will take advantage of that system as a consequence. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing some of the comments underneath the uh, the piece that appeared in The Times this morning, and there's a woman uh, who's written a story which really is quite remarkable, in which she talks about it's not just the, uh, the CMS who struggles to hold absent parents to account. She actually went through uh, the courts and got an order uh, for maintenance for her three sons uh, from the father of those three, uh, three boys. But he has, as of yet, never paid a penny um, and he uh, lives in a foreign country and he cannot be somehow forced to make any payments to her. And so if the courts can't do it, what chance, I suppose, is the CMS? And we have several layers of problem there because um, under English law, where a divorcing couple are wanting the court to consider making an order in relation to child maintenance, yeah. the court can do so if the paying parent will consent to that order being made. Right. 
But in that situation, the order holds good for a minimum of a year. And after a year, either parents can opt out of the provisions of the order and go to the child maintenance service for a reassessment right. uh, based on current uh, information about income. Um, and so in the in these circumstances of the case you're referring to, I suspect that is what will have happened. This parents uh, not made payments mm. for the first 12 months, then opted out of it and uh, has ended up living overseas. And whilst there are reciprocal enforcement arrangements in place between uh, England and other jurisdictions, again, they're incredibly cumbersome to use and can mm. take months and years to access yeah. uh, child maintenance payments. And I mean, I, I know some, some people that, that just I know personally who have split up and one of the one of the partners has has uh, has got custody and the other one who should be paying maintenance pays a really really tiny amount of money on the basis that he claims he doesn't really have much of an income even though um he's actually quite wealthy um he can somehow disguise the fact that his income is not very high yes and that you know that is um a very common problem which we see uh, very regularly in the, mm. the work we deal with um, the, you know, again, the rules are very um, complex around how the child maintenance service will treat people who hold uh, substantial sums of capital, but perhaps um, are not uh, working or are uh, diverting their income in some way through their business interests, right. perhaps drawing from a director's loan account facility as opposed to drawing a direct income. Uh, and so it causes this real problem of trying to then assess what the maintenance should be. So how did we get from the CSA, which wasn't fit for purpose, to a new organisation, which is also not fit for purpose? I'm afraid um, overcomplicating of the system. Um, the rules, as I mentioned, are so incredibly complex that it makes it very challenging, uh, I think, for the staff who work within the Child Maintenance Service to give fair assessment, um, and certainly for parents trying to access that service. And you know, for very many parents, they won't be able to afford to access legal advice from somebody like myself. Uh, they perhaps won't have um, a real understanding of their entitlement and will assume that what they're being told by the Child Maintenance Service is accurate. Right. And I'm looking again uh, some comments on this story and it says um, as a, a statement from a family's need father saying that in Sweden um, the government will pay any child maintenance that is not paid and the debt will accrue to the paying parent which sounds like an interesting way out of something like this. Yeah, Sweden always tends to uh, be at the forefront of family legislation. Yeah. Certainly that sounds a far better way of dealing it with it. It does, doesn't it? Because I presume then if, if you accrue a debt because the state has paid your child maintenance for you, they can then prosecute you in some way or, or come after you to, for, for the repayment of that debt. Presumably. But, I mean, even in uh, the in England, as matters stand today, you know, the Child Maintenance Service does have the power to make uh, or to apply for orders to make deductions from earnings. Uh, but there seems to be a real disconnect then between orders being made and them actually being implemented successfully right. here. And what's the legal position there then? So if you get a court order, because if, if, there may be women uh, listening to this, because I assume it's mostly women that have this problem. Um, who look after the children but don't get any help financially from their former partner. If a woman is listening to this and she has got some kind of an order from a court or from somewhere uh, to, to uh, attach somebody's earnings and it's not happening, what can they then do? Well, the, typically the enforcement action I've described would be dealt with by the child maintenance service okay. um, through a, a failure of a parent to make payment, typically under the collect and pay system that the child maintenance service operates. Right. So under that system, they will charge a recipient parent a 4% charge for any maintenance that they collect from the paying parent and a punitive 20% collection fee from the paying parent 
if the paying parent won't voluntarily make the payment themselves. Right. So in that situation, if the paying parent still doesn't make payment and uh, an order is made for deduction from earnings, um, you know, mum would need to go through the child maintenance service. And again, that's where the system falls down uh, because it's so cumbersome and slow to deal with matters. And if you end up in a situation where perhaps paying parent is moving from job to job um, or is, um, you know, out of work for a period of time, then, you know, the system can break down and really mums in that situation would need to take some form of legal advice uh, perhaps as a starting point through the Citizens Advice Bureau to be signposted yeah. for advice. Um, but The it, trouble with the Citizens kind of, Advice Bureau in my experience in these kind of matters though is that they're very vague about it. They can't really give you specific um, information that you can use. You know, all they can really do is kind of give you very sort of basic legal advice. Absolutely. And legal advice is expensive to access and it's one of the real problems with the reforms government made in doing away with legal aid for the vast majority of um, family law disputes. Yeah. And so Um, is the case here that there's just too much going on for one agency to to be on top of or, or what do you think the problem is? Yes, I think this child maintenance service is massively under-resourced and whilst they do have a tribunal process for appeals, uh, that in itself is incredibly complex and tends to be um, the preserve of the wealthy who can afford lawyers to represent them through the tribunal. The child maintenance service and lack of resource is a real issue that the government needs to focus on, but of course government's very distracted elsewhere at the moment. Well, certainly so. And I mean, as far as the way that uh, that the system seems to work as well, there's there's people who are getting separated, or who have become separated, shall we say, who say that because of the way the CMS operates, they kind of end up having to prolong what they regard as toxic relationships, which really shouldn't have to be continuing. Absolutely. You know, in any situation where there's an ongoing payment of maintenance, whether that's spousal or child maintenance, um, separated couples do end up tied together uh, indefinitely until that maintenance comes to an end. And it does uh, perpetuate the dispute and ultimately to the detriment of the children, not only financially, but also in terms of their parents being at war with one another over what provisions should be made. Mm. And so as far as your own sort of uh, role in all of this, Elspeth, I mean, obviously you're with a, a private law firm, but are you, as lawyers, concerned or are you trying to get something done about the way the system works? I think um, family law as a profession uh, are greatly concerned about the way the child maintenance service operates and the ineffectiveness of the service. There's also real tension between the interplay of the courts and the child maintenance service uh, and it it does create a real problem. It's something that Resolution, which is an organisation that represents a number of family lawyers, uh, has tried to push for reforms of um, for quite some time now, but without any real success, it has to be said. So it doesn't sound like there's a sort of a magic bullet you can advise people to, to sort of trigger, if you like, if they're having a problem getting money? There isn't a magic bullet, but I would say um, seeking representation at the earliest opportunity is the best way forward. But as I recognise and I accept, I appreciate that is not accessible for all individuals. No, of course. Well, interesting, Elspeth, thank you very much indeed. Elspeth Kinder, Head of Family Law at JMW Solicitors. This is clearly something that affects an awful lot of people because we're talking here apparently uh, about 106,400 people uh, who received no maintenance... Sorry, that's the number of children living in households that received no maintenance payments. That's an awful lot of children, over 106,000. That's awful. And if you are a parent... Uh, who's trying to get maintenance money out of your former partner and and failing in doing so, 
Um, I wish I could give you some advice on what to do, but if you want to call us and tell us uh, exactly how that came about, I'd be more than happy to do so. 0344 499 1000 is the number. And if you're uh, a man in this situation where you're being told that you have to pay maintenance, because it's often the case that there are problems on both sides of these arguments as well, where, you know, I've certainly spoken to people in the past who have been ordered to pay maintenance that they can't afford to pay. So by all means, this is a real uh, hot potato of a subject. Let's talk about it. 0344 499 1,000. We'll take your calls next on Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Got a tweet here from Ed Davey, uh, MP, who is, of course, uh, I think he's not still acting leader of the uh, Lib Dems. Dealing with COVID-19, UK should be the government's top priority. I've called on Johnson, he says, to pause Brexit trade talks and extend transition period so ministers can focus. Failure to prioritise is a recipe for disaster. Well, it's all very well, Ed, uh, saying that everything else has to stop in order to uh, somehow contain coronavirus. Wouldn't be anything to do with the fact that you'd like to remain in the European Union by any chance. We'll be talking about the European Union coming up uh, later on in this hour because, of course, as you know, uh, the Greek government has basically issued orders to its border guards to stop anyone from trying to come in uh, to this country, uh, sorry, to Greece, um, from Turkey. Uh, These are refugees who are trying to get into the European Union because they've escaped from Syria, they call themselves refugees. We'll be finding out uh, what the Greek government is actually going to say and do about all of that and what the EU is likely to do as well. Let's go to George, though, first of all. He wants to talk about the divorce uh, business as well. George, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. I just caught the end of your um, the, 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 the conversation with the last lady. But yes. the reality is that when I was dealing with it, it was a child support agency. Yeah. And, um, they were terrible, weren't they? You can never... Yeah, you, you, ring, you ring up and... You can never get one person to deal with your file. Your, you, you ring up, I may speak to somebody in Belfast, yeah. Dudley, um, Edinburgh. Um, it, it, I, I had an acrimonious split. Right. Um, my ex-partner um, denied me contact. I went to court to get contact. That was then denied. Um, the, I, when I was di- dealing with the child support agency, <clears throat> um, they, she was a drinker. She was a recreational drug user at the time. I mean, all of that's changed, to be right. fair to her, but at the time. Um, and I was at odds to fund somebody's habits, if you like. Right. I had proof of purchases for trainers, for school uniforms, for all manner of things that you would expect any decent father to provide for his children. None of that was taken into, an, into account. Right. One... one um, one operator actually told me when I explained the situation, what she chooses to do with the money you give her is entirely entirely up to hers, up to her. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. So, plus you then add, add in the fact you, you've got a lady, I can't speak for her, but the, the, legal, the legal profession is so one-sided and stacked against a lot of decent fathers who are trying to have contact with their children who aren't feckless, who don't walk away? I, I went to see two MPs yeah. um, who provided letters to. When I went to see the MPs, they said, "Why? Why would you? What's it got to do with us?" And I said, "Well, I have um, parental um, responsibility over my children, so I'm speaking on behalf of my children. I know my children want to have a relationship with me." Long story short, the the my ex partner. If I if I if I missed this phone call from me now. 
you decided to ring the police and say that George was abusive towards me, you would get a you would get a um, a CAD number, an instant number. Yeah. And after four or five of those incidents, you then go to see a solicitor and you produce that to a solicitor. And the solicitors actually advise females and males to, to this because they then get um, legal aid. And these they then can then go to a court and get an ex-party injunction, which mm. is extremely hard to fight against. Yeah, of course. And it, this wasn't in my particular case, to take my children away from their mother because I understand that, on the whole, aside of her recreational habits, she was a good mother, but she was so blinkered as to the breakup of our relationship. And in the end, her mother and sisters came to court for me, something which I'm very proud about, and explained the situation. I ended. I spent £38,500 of my own money I got extremely ill down to it because I wanted to be a part of my children's lives. I am now, yeah. and I'm in a much better place. But, but the system is so stacked against men. Yeah. And on the last court appearance, I the court the, the it was set aside. It was set aside for a a day's hearing. On the day of of the um, oh shit, my ex partner had me arrested on several times, and in the end, the police the police said to her, I believe because her, her whole tact changed then. Mm. The police said, um, if you continue to make false allegations, oh, and I said that when I was arrested, I said, these are false allegations. And the officer said, his words to me on, 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 on I think the third occasion was, look, when there is an allegation of domestic violence or abuse, we scoop. They were the words he used. We come and we scoop yeah. because because that's, sure. the, and, that's the, that, and that is their absolute uh, hard and fast rule and whether you, whether we like and that or not as men i suppose you'd have you, to say on balance that's what they should do right mike mike i get that do you know what i get that i get that and i understand that but you get caught up in this whole system sure. and what would you say was the I turning said, what was the turning point george for you when you finally realized that you actually were getting somewhere i i i i paid I mean, I don't know if I can, but I, 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 w I went to a thing called the um, uh, the family um, uh, the family separation clinic. It's run by a lady called Karen Woodall, uh -huh. um, and I paid to see Karen. And um, the, w the the thing that drew me towards this was the word empathy. Okay. Because I need to, I needed to empathise with my children because my children loved me. We were having contact, but when they were going home to uh, a mother who then questioned them and. Did he do this? Did he do that? Yeah. And, you know, four, five-year-old kids are easily ma manipulated and, and they would cry. And, and I was thinking, Christ, this isn't... She'd then get on the phone to me and this isn't how my version of how the contact went. I, I was, so I, I spent, you know, several hundred pounds seeing Karen and talking through, through it. And, and the reality is that... Um, and I pay my, do you know, eventually, eventually I got through to to um, one person in the child maintenance and I said, can you be my point of contact? Yeah. You And this person agreed to that. We don't. I said, right, give me your extension number. Should there ever be any issues, you contact me, I'll contact you. And then we started getting through this treacle. But it is so, 
all over the place. Yeah, I know. And it's a terrible system and it's a very difficult system to, to navigate. And it's a very easy system to abuse if, if you want to. George, listen, I really appreciate you giving me all that information, very personal information. And if anybody heard a word on the YouTube feed that you didn't want to hear, uh, my apologies for that. But so uh, you can understand George uh, being quite passionate about the subject he's talking about. It's something we should talk about some more, I suspect, because an awful lot of people, an awful lot of couples uh, and former couples are texting me right now, tweeting me right now about the problems they've got. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio, and this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, where we do not suffer fools gladly, uh, which is just as well, uh, because, in fact, we've got some very important people to talk to now, uh, from The Apprentice, Karina Lepore, uh, the winner and owner of Doe Bakehouse, and uh, one of her investors, a certain Lord Sugar. Uh, a very good afternoon to both of you. Hello. Good afternoon. Yeah, now, it's nice to speak to you, mate. Now, Lord Sugar, it's very kind of you to come on the show. I know you're a very busy man. I didn't realise you had a bit of a soft spot for vegan um, baking goods, I have to say. Well, uh, I mean, it's not a case of a soft spot. It's a case of keeping up with the trends. And the trends are that uh, there's a big demand for vegan products. And uh, quite cleverly, um, Karina has made a range of them. It's not a total, it's not the total range of products that we have here, but it is an offering that we have, and we have to keep up with what people want. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Karina, um, what's it like uh, launching yourself at this? Uh, you were obviously in charge of the, the bakery, uh, the Doe mm -hmm. Bakehouse, before the, 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 the Apprentice win, but this is a bit of a boost for you, right? Yes, it's fabulous. All the, you know, having everyone here today, having Lord Tua come and try the vegan range, we're doing a big launch day today at Doe Bakehouse. Very exciting. Um, yeah, the year so far has started off really well. I'm very excited about the future. Fantastic. Was it was it a bit nerve-wracking when you were on The Apprentice? What was it like? I, I love all that. I sort of thrive on the, on the, the working environment under pressure. So I really enjoyed it. Um, yes, it was very tough. I mean, it's very clear from the offset it's going to be a tough process. But I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Excellent stuff. And, and Lord Sugar, have you tried any of the vegan goods on, uh, on offer? And if so, which, what's your favourite one? The sausage roll, definitely. There's no question of it. Well, I'll tell you what, the uh, the Greg's vegan sausage roll went uh, like gangbusters. I mean, I think they ended yeah, up giving... I, giving I, like, I, I, suppose, I suppose that's why we've made one also, but uh, we've tried them and it's excellent, really. Okay. Although I have to say, I still, I, I still like the real meat one myself. Yes. Well, I mean, there's no reason not to have both, is there? I mean, yeah. some, some people I know go vegan sort of two days a week and then they do yeah. uh, other yeah. things, yeah. you know, because I think a lot more people are a lot more open to it. I mean, even just a few years ago, you'd have had yeah. people probably like me going, oh, what are you doing that for? Why don't you eat some bacon? I couldn't care less if somebody wants to eat something vegan. No, really. I mean, I've yeah. always had a very, very healthy diet myself personally. So um, I did not really need to go vegan in that sense. Uh, uh, I've always had a health, very healthy diet, but, right. um, but I understand that people are very serious about it, so that's why we're catering for it. Sure. And Karina, how does the business work now that you're, you've got such an important investor? Do you do you do you sort of divvy out the uh, the duties evenly between me and Lord Sugar? Yeah. Well, it's me. So I'm here running the show at the shop every day. Um, we're opening up some new shops soon, so we've got one coming up very soon, April, hopefully. Uh, fingers crossed. Okay. So, yeah, Lord Sugar's there for my advice. He'll come down, he'll do launches like this, any new products, I'll run by and he'll try them. And, yeah, 
And you're in you're in Hearn Hill, right? So for those yeah, we're in Hearn Hill, those yeah. who don't know where that is, it's not far from Brixton. Uh, so are you opening up other branches in London then? Yes. So we've got first store will be Beckenham actually. So anyone that's London based will know that. Very exciting. Another great spot. Great high street. I'm excited to get there. Yeah, you got Colonel Bob Stewart as an MP as well. My producer's waving his arms around because he lives. He's from Beckenham, I think originally. Ah. Now, let me ask you, Lord Sugar, about something which is very uh, sort of much on everybody's minds at the moment and and affecting a lot of businesses as well. And that's the coronavirus and and how it's affecting you know lots of supply chains, how it's affecting lots yeah. of different things. Yeah. Well, look, what's, your, what's your serious, feeling about it's a, it? It's a very serious issue. It has to be taken seriously, and I, it has affected our business in some sense. But business has to come second. Uh, this has to be fixed, first of all. We've got to worry about people's health, first of all. Um, and particularly goods coming from China have slowed down. We can't get our supplies. But um, I'm not complaining about that. Obviously, it's just a, it's a side effect uh, of, of what's happened. And hope, we're hoping that um, in the next couple of two weeks or so, that the incident rate is going to start dying off like mm. it does with other uh, viruses and things like that. And uh, it's all going to come to a, a, a halt. Yes. In the meantime, I'm sure that the, um, the medical authorities throughout the world are working uh, day and night on finding um, antidotes for it at all. But it's very serious and it has to be taken seriously. Exactly right. Because the world is a much more interconnected place now, I suppose, than it was when we had something Absolutely. like this before. Absolutely. I mean, we had an incident here in England this week uh, where somebody who hadn't even been abroad has contracted it and obviously has come into contact with somebody that did that, that, that did have it, yeah? Yeah, exactly right. And, and Karina, your, is, is your background in, in, in sort of baked goods? Have you always been in this business or is it just something that you kind of came upon? So it's my father, really. So he's head baker here. Um, he's been the baker, it's what I've known all my life. It hasn't been my career path, no, but it's always been sort of a passion of us as a family He's been baking since I was young, um, started us off on sort of cakes in the kitchen, as you do. Um, and, yeah, so my sort of passion comes from from my career as retail-based, really. So I owned a shop when I was 18. It was in the fashion sort of industry. And now it's a similar story, really, just following trends and keeping up, keeping up with the high street so we can survive, really. Right. So that's, where, that's where I'm sort of key. And Lord Sugar said he was yeah. uh, partial to the, to, the, to the vegan sausage roll. Have you got a particular favourite uh, that you're producing at the moment? I like our vegan energy balls. So we do these vegan energy balls. They're sort of packed with protein. They're great for people that go to the gym. They just want a quick snack. Um, we've got like pistachio flavour, peanut butter, really popular. So that's my favourite vegan product. Okay. Uh, and Lord Sugar, I've been sent an email yeah. from somebody who says, are you sure that Lord Sugar's not just bigging up a vegan sausage rolls to upset Piers Morgan? Yeah, absolutely. No question <laughs> of it. I'm going to send him a few. I think uh, you should. Today. Well, I mean, he can't I've get any more. But I've sent, him, I've sent him a picture of them anyway, just to tell him that they've been made just, uh, particularly for him. <laughs> well, now that he's got back to his part-time job, I'm sure he'll be happy to yeah. have you on the show. Yeah. He was very rude about you the other day, I thought. Oh, he's always rude about me. Don't shocking, worry about it. shocking. I don't worry about it. Well, listen, good luck to both of you. And, right, uh, thank and, you. And uh, we shall be uh, popping down, I'm sure, to Hearn Hill and, and or indeed Beckenham coming up very shortly. Lord Sugar and Karina Lepore there who have got uh, the Dough Bakehouse uh, in their sights. They've got lots going on down there. Uh, if you happen to be anywhere near Hearn Hill, I'm sure you'd like to pop in and see them and try the vegan sausage roll. Uh, I should look forward personally to the little feud that goes on between Lord Sugar and probably Piers Morgan uh, over the course of the... Uh, 
uh, of the next uh, couple of days. But uh, imagine, imagine being on a TV show and then getting the guy that awards you the winning uh, sort of ticket on that TV show uh, to invest a quarter of a million pounds into your uh, scenario, into your business. Not bad at all. Uh, we're nearly done for the day here. It's been a great show. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, for Monday, the first Monday in March, uh, uh, we've talked about a great many things and, of course, we'll be doing it all again tomorrow from 10 o'clock. Before we go, let's talk to Rebecca, uh, who's in Gloucestershire. She wants to talk about that terrible business of maintenance payments. Rebecca, very good uh, afternoon to you. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. What do you want to tell me? Um, it was just I turned the radio on earlier and it, and it was about people avoiding paying maintenance. Yes. I've been on, on my own for about 11, girls, 11 years with my girls now. Okay. Um, um, I've had very, very little maintenance, probably about four payments, five payments in that time. Um, we struggle. My partner gets away with it. Um, because how, how does he? Employed, basically. I think it's because he's self-employed and what the child maintenance people tell you is if that they work and they're self-employed, they get cash. And if they get cash, then they have, um, there's no trace of their money, so they get away with it and it's right. a hole in the law. But does he not have any kind of moral compass of any no. kind that he should no. I mean because I'm you know I got divorced it would never have yeah. occurred to me to not provide for my children you know yeah I know I know it's it, it's 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 not great is it um but I I don't think he's the only one I certainly have two three other friends um that's got quite wealthy ex-partners um and they pay nothing either and they say, um, I've just had my, my thing through now, actually, uh, my review. He's supposed to be paying £6.50-something a week. Um, he owns his own house. He's got several motorbikes. He, he, he yeah. has a really, really luxurious lifestyle. Yeah. And does he, see, does he see your girls? No, no. We, uh, the initial separation, we went through um, counselling, uh, tried to keep a, a contact going. Um, and I even said that we could actually manage the kids between us, yeah. um, have part responsibility, which would have been really good for the girls, mm. so that I could have worked as well and we could have juggled it between us, but he wasn't interested. He legged it back to where he came from, and, right. and he's never bothered since. He failed to turn up on Christmas Day, actually. Um, we never saw him again. That's awful, isn't it? What a terrible story. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm sorry, yeah. Rebecca. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to say all men aren't as bad as that, but um, you no, know, no. I'm not sure that would convince you. But listen, thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks for calling us on that. We will revisit this. I think it's a story that needs looking into because of, as much as there are some horrible, ghastly, absent fathers out there, uh, there are some pretty ghastly situations for some fathers as well who are trying to do their best uh, while they're trying to work. They're trying to not have to hand over all the money that they've got. Uh, and there can be some very abusive and nasty people out there uh, who are on the other side of the argument as well. Women can be just as horrible as men can, and I can tell you that from personal experience. But listen, uh, we'll come back to all that. We will talk about it some more. Coming up next, uh, and don't forget, by the way, you can get the podcast later on, and we'll be doing off-air with Ruth Lee, the economist. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.